It's Wednesday, August 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Americans are not happy with the way things are going in the country. According to Gallup, U.S. satisfaction is at 13%, the lowest it has been in nine years. The national mood has soured greatly because of the effect of the pandemic on the country, and the mood drop mostly occurred among Republicans. Jeff Jones, senior editor at Gallup, joins us for how Americans are currently feeling. Next, states continue to largely go it alone with how they respond to the coronavirus outbreak. Without a set of national guidelines, they are relying on their local public health officials when deciding to reclose portions of their economy. Many are taking a county-by-county approach as cases and deaths rise and fall. Ted Mann, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Finally, President Trump is continuing his assault on mail-in voting, and it could hurt his re-election bid. There could be a delay in results because of how long it takes to count them, but voting by mail is expected to increase because of health concerns from coronavirus. And the president may need those mail-in votes in key battleground states. Christopher Catalago, national political reporter at Politico, joins us for Trump's fight against mail-in voting. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And where we are now at 13%, that's one of the lowest that Gallup has ever measured. The lowest was in 2008, right after the financial crisis happened at 7%. So we're just a little bit above that. Joining us now is Jeff Jones, senior editor at Gallup. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Sure, no problem. We've been seeing some of these trends and numbers for some time, and we know that there's a lot of division in the country. People are divided on all sorts of issues. And the satisfaction number right now, American satisfaction with the way things are going in the United States continues to drop. We're at 13% right now. It's the lowest it's been in nine years. Jeff, tell us about some of the polling that you guys did to get to this number here. So this is a measure that Gallup first started tracking in 1979. So we have over 40 years of data on this. And where we are now at 13%, that's one of the lowest that Gallup has ever measured. The lowest was in 2008, right after the financial crisis happened at 7%. So we're just a little bit above that. There's been a few other times that we're kind of in the low teens, if you will. So this is one of them. Usually those were times when the economy was in bad shape. So in addition to the financial crisis, also the late 70s and in 2011 as well. You talk about 2008 and the financial crisis, then the top four years where people had their lowest satisfaction rate was all in 2008. So, I mean, if that's any indication, when things are going bad with the economy, it tends to bring people down. So what are you seeing right now in this? We've been talking a lot about coronavirus and the pandemic and the way things have impacted us. But one of the interesting things was that Republican satisfaction has gone down a lot this time around. Right now, it's at 20% for Republicans. And you only have to go back a few months to February. That was right after Donald Trump was acquitted by the Senate in the impeachment trial. And Republicans at that point, 80 percent were satisfied. So it's gone down quite a bit, pretty much starting in about April when the coronavirus is really taking hold and it's continued to go down since then. So just a very, very steep decline for Republicans. We see similar pattern among independents, but not nearly to the same degree because they were never at that lofty 80%. The highest they've been recently is 38. They're down to 12. And then Democrats pretty much have not been satisfied for a while, pretty much since 
Trump came into office. Right. But even within the Republican Party, when you talk about President Trump specifically, the job he's doing, he still figures very high in the Republican Party. That's at 91 percent. This is overall satisfaction. I do have a question about how the question is posed to people. Is just a flat out, what is your satisfaction rate with how the country is going right now? Are there more specific questions when people are asked this? No, it's just a single question. Are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the way things are going in the United States at this time? So that's kind of our measure. A lot of other people ask it as kind of right track, wrong track. Is the country, you know, on the right track or is it going off on the wrong track? So I'll kind of measure the same thing. Ours goes back to the late 70s and, you know, we've been tracking it regularly and including monthly um, updates since 2001. So what's the bottom line on this and, and what could this mean for the election? You know, the president obviously is in high spin mode right now. He's he's trying to get things back on track with the U.S. response to the pandemic. You know, everybody's hoping for some traction on a vaccine and, and that could maybe boost him up a little bit. But when the satisfaction rate for people is this low, that doesn't fare well for incumbent presidents. So one point is that satisfaction doesn't really have to be that high for a president to win. It's rarely above 50% at any point. So Obama, for example, when he was reelected in 2012, it was 33% satisfaction. Right now at 13%, that's the lowest we've measured in an incumbent uh, reelection year. And the previous low was actually 22% for the elder George Bush in 1992, and he lost. So right now, Trump is staring up at the lowest, which was for a losing president. The other presidents have been reelected when they were seeking reelection, but satisfaction was also quite a bit higher. So right now, Trump is like 20 points below the low watermark at which an incumbent has been reelected. So, you know, a lot of ground to, to make up on this. Jeffrey Jones, senior editor at Gallup. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. My pleasure. The COVID level is still at orange. Our threat level remains there. We plan no further closures at this moment on any activities or businesses in the city of Los Angeles. Joining us now is Ted Mann, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ted. Thanks for having me. Since the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of what's been going down as far as guidelines has kind of been every state for themselves. I know the CDC put out guidelines on how to reopen your state after the first initial stay-at-home orders, all that stuff went down. But now a lot of states are seeing rising cases and a lot of local health counties are looking at maybe closing down again or restricting businesses once again. And it's up to the states themselves to really figure out how to do it. I know Mississippi is imposing restrictions. California has a county watch list on what to do. Mm -hmm. Ted, tell us a little bit more about this. As you said, the CDC put out what it called gating criteria for how states should look at reopening. And so that was a selection of different criteria that included things like going 14 days with a declining rate of new infections. Some of them looked at the availability of hospital beds and in particular of ICU beds. And the idea was that as states were thinking about reopening, they could look at all of these six categories and use those to judge that they had gotten the infection under control and that it was safe to start slowly reopening. What we have not seen as explicitly from the federal government is 
the opposite of that. What are the criteria and what are specifically the triggers that states and cities should look to if cases start to go up again to say we either have to pause in our reopening or actually reimpose closure orders because we're starting to see this virus go out of control again. And at that time when states started reopening, a lot of them really didn't even follow those initial CDC guidelines. They were kind of fudging it a little bit, saying, hey, we're close enough. Let's just kind of start going. And as we know now, a lot of people are pointing to just, you know, a lot of the states reopening too soon. And that's why we're seeing a lot of these rising cases. And now, you know, as these numbers are going up, they're not even meeting those initial guidelines as well also where they could have reopened. So now it's kind of in this weird mode where they're starting to close down county by county, things like that. And I know residents are not happy with these new restrictions being reimposed again. can't imagine residents like it or, frankly, that anyone who's in a position of political authority likes the idea of having to put these things back in place. As you said, there were places that reopened faster than others, and obviously they're taking public health seriously, but also they're under tremendous pressure because of all the economic pain that was being felt to try to restore some normalcy. I think you're going to see all of those same factors at play here when, you know, take one of the examples in our story, the state of Maryland is trying to do a very careful reopening. They have a governor who's been talking a lot about public health and taking it seriously. And at the same time, they have officials in Baltimore County, where the city of Baltimore is, who are saying, we are seeing way too many new cases. You have to just stop all this. And there's going to be a lot of that tension, I think, in places all over the country. And as you said, one of the groups we spoke to is actually a coalition of all these different organizations outside the government who are working on this. They put together this dashboard, which essentially COVID exit strategy, and it just shows how everybody's doing on those six initial criteria for reopening. And this is a day old, but as of yesterday, there were only four states in the country that were doing pretty well in terms of being out of the woods on the virus kind of propagating at the community level. Everybody else, even those that are quite open or that have been fairly aggressive in trying to combat the infection, is lagging in one or two or more indicators. So there was two states that you talked about a lot in your article, Mississippi and California. What are Mm -hmm. they doing? Because I think they're doing the county by county approach and kind of playing it as they see fit. They're going county by county to try to decide which are the areas geographically where this virus seems to not be too much of a problem right now, and then which are those areas where it looks like we're getting a lot of community spread again, and like the virus is starting to basically go out of control again. And so in in many cases, um, or at least in those cases, you have states essentially setting their own criteria for what constitutes too so prevalent a spread. In Mississippi, they've basically said if you have 500 new cases for every 100,000 residents in an area, that means you're growing too fast and we're going to impose new restrictions on, on what people can do. California also has this sort of watch list approach. And I think what you see there is these are political, you know, elected officials who are trying to sort of get every benefit they can of reopening, trying to get their economies back to life a little bit where they can. But they know from looking at what is happening all over the country that the biggest problem is a hot spot of this disease, which will just grow like wildfire among a community of people unless you really clamp down on it. And so that's, I think, what they're trying to do at the state level is isolate those areas where there's a real risk of the disease spreading like crazy again. Ted Mann, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
We went through World War II. You had, went to the polls. You've had mail-in voting since the Civil War. because of the China virus, we're supposed to stay home, send millions of ballots all over the country, millions and millions. You know, you could have a case where this election won't be decided on the evening of November 3rd. Joining us now is Christopher Catalago, national political reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Christopher. Of course. Thank you. I wanted to talk about mail-in voting. The president continues uh, his assault on it and raising alarms, saying there's going to be a lot of election fraud, despite there being evidence to that. There's a lot of safeguards in place so that widespread mail-in voting fraud doesn't happen. But it could be backfiring on him in battleground states. There's some polling showing that Republicans have become pretty concerned about how it might play out. A lot of people are going to be doing this mail-in voting this time around because of the pandemic. And there could be a big portion of voters that Trump needs that might do that or might be turned off to it because of the way he's been positioning it. Christopher, tell us a little bit more about it. You've got that right. I mean, we've been trying to gauge the impact of Donald Trump's criticism of mail-in voting for months now in these key battleground states that are decided by, in the case of 2016, just a couple percentage points or even one percentage point. So if you have a large segment or even a modest segment of voters who cannot get out to the polls because of the pandemic and who decide, I don't want to send in my mail-in ballot because uh, I don't think it's safe. I think it might be subject to fraud, as Donald Trump has said. That could end up costing him in the fall. And so poll we examined looked at Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Florida, all very crucial states. And it found that a healthy portion of self-identified Trump voters were hesitant to send a ballot back by mail. And anywhere from 15% of them in Florida to 10% of them in Michigan. And so I think Trump is going to have to look very seriously at the comments he's made about this. And what we saw today, hours after our story ran, was him pulling back on this in Florida and saying that he didn't have as many issues with mail-in balloting in Florida because that's a state he really needs to win. But overall, 53% of voters in Florida and about half in Michigan and Pennsylvania had expressed health concerns over coronavirus, over casting their ballots in person. So what else do you have to do? Either don't vote or you go mail-in voting. So we already kind of are seeing that there's going to be an increased number this year. And there is concerns about the timing of everything, like how long it will take to count all those ballots, because that traditionally takes a lot more time. So there could be a delay in the results. It might not happen on election night like everybody is used to. But the trend just does seem to look like more people are going to be voting by mail this time around. And the question is, you know, I posed this question to the pollsters before Donald Trump had kind of reversed himself in a way on Florida and said, well, what if he changes his mind and argues it the other way? Does he have time to make this argument? And, you know, while the election is all the way off in November, these ballots go out earlier and he would have to make this argument consistently and tell folks in the states where he's okay with mail and voting that they should do it. I mean, this is going to have to be a real concerted effort on the part of his campaign to change tack because he's been arguing for so long now and made so many comments and sent so many tweets about his problems with it. So it takes some time for that to sink in with folks. And a lot of the mail balloting has to do with 
how much longer it takes to count them. Trump has said, well, in that time that folks are counting, where do the ballots go? Maybe they could get lost. He's raised all kinds of questions. And by a, a bit, just a massive margin, folks who are supportive of Joe Biden said, that's OK. You know, take another week, take however much time it takes to count those as long as more people can vote. And the numbers were almost reverse for Trump supporters. They have really keyed in on these comments Trump has made about wanting a quick result on election night, you know, within hours, and that if counting takes longer, we're going to question the you know integrity of the election process. And so that's another thing that the pollsters at least believe that because that is such a consistent line by Donald Trump, that it's something that his supporters have adopted. And the other point I would add is the reason they believe that is because for many years, particularly in Florida with Republicans, Mail-in voting was not seen as this highly partisan issue where Democrats and Republicans had very different views on it. They were kind of largely aligned with it. This is like the mechanics of participating in election, right? It's not something that automatically comes off as a partisan thing that Democrats and Republicans should disagree on. So they believe, this is the pollsters, that it's Trump's own comments over time, his own, like we say, assault on this voting procedure that has convinced people who are very loyal to him and support him and, and believe in him, that this is the position they should be taking. Yeah. And I mean, it's just weird. You know, the Trump campaign does talk about mail-in voting. Obviously, if you can't vote in person, the Republican Party does the same. You know, everybody has the campaigns. Both parties have these types of campaigns to vote by mail. But yet the line from the president is that it's all bad. So sometimes it just gets very confusing on the whole issue. But still, more people are going to go that route just because they're concerned for their health. And we've seen problems the past few times already with just long lines, long waits. Nobody wants to kind of go with that. And as you mentioned, there are people willing to wait a few extra days for a result rather than actually go through the process of going in person. Yeah, no question. I think people are wa are willing to wait. Now, the length of time for the wait, and we start to get into the nitty gritty of this that we don't get into in the story, but the quote unquote rejection rate that people have of their ballots. I mean, there have been issues before in, in various states and jurisdictions where the signature that someone has on file with the registrar of voters doesn't match the one they had on their ballot. And it's possible that that ballot could get thrown out. In states like California, there is a process where the registrar then will contact the voter and say, come back in and show us your ID and your signature, or show us that this thing can match and give you another shot at voting. And so there have been hiccups at times, both with the counting and with who gets counted. And so Equating that to fraud, though, is just not based on the evidence and the studies that have been done so far. So I think raising fears about people voting is, is obviously, Democrats would argue, obviously a way to depress the vote. But for Trump, as we say in the story, he needs to be really careful about depressing his own vote. Christopher Catalago, national political reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.